voltage that went through his body. It blew a hole through the side of a ship, a steel ship. It blew a hole through the ship that big. And the same current hit him and literally destroyed his left arm. He could not move it. But under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, he was called to the platform and commanded to raise that arm. And he said, I cannot raise it. He was commanded to raise it, and that arm went up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that same God is in this camp. I feel his presence. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, I had a marvelous time coming down and getting here and just seeing everybody again. And you have blessed me. One brother gave me a big hug and he said, Praise the Lord. I can reach around you. <laughs> One brother said, I had to look two or three times to see whether that was you or not. How about it? I've lost some weight. Is that good? <laughs> I got the victory. That's right. <laughs> I've lost 160 pounds since the last time I was here. Oh, not since the last. I was over to two or three other conferences. Since last time I was here at the camp, I've lost 160 pounds. That's one whole person. <laughs> <laughs> I got another whole person to go. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, I'm feel so skinny. I won't be able to tell my stories. She said, if I was you, I wouldn't panic just yet. <laughs> your, your stories still have credibility. <laughs> I got all carried away up there in Maine yesterday or Saturday and told them about that story of splitting my britches. And they went absolutely bananas. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I still got enough weight that they believed it. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I look around over this audience, and this audience is just absolutely sprinkled with the most distinguished people of God in the world today. And uh, I want you to know that I appreciate that and uh, I honor you I look around and I see so many white-haired
people. I want you to know that I love you and appreciate you and respect you. And uh, this district board said, Billy Cole, it's the will of God for you to come down here. And I believed him. So here I am. I come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> if you're astounded that I'm here, I promise you, you're not half as astounded as I am. <laughs> but I'm going to do my best while I'm here this entire week. Is that all right? Will you help me? Will you really help me? Praise God. Now, you can help me by praying for me every day, asking the Lord to quicken my mind, causing my mind to be alert and that uh, I'll be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. I have some plans. I'll tell you in a minute exactly what my plans are, and I believe those plans are from the Lord, but I, I want to be subject to the Holy Ghost at all, all times. You can't have a man like Brother Tenney and Brother Barnes sitting on the platform and not be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. That's very important. Praise God. Want to be sensitive to God and be used of the Lord. That's one way you can uh, help me. There is one thing that you can do that really annoys me. I don't know why it bothers me so bad, but it does. Please, don't sit like this. I don't know why somebody crosses their arms bothers me so bad, but it nearly bugs me to death, and I just, I, I, I do have a lot of discipline. I really do. I. I travel a lot, and you can't travel the way I travel without having a lot of discipline. Uh, I've been somewhere every single week since Christmas like this, in meetings, every single week besides pastoring. <laughs> and you have to have a lot of discipline. But if somebody sets like this, I cannot disip my, discipline my tongue. Sooner or later, I'm going to take a shot at you. <laughs> I'm just warning you. <laughs> Praise God. Do you love the Lord? I believe you do. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and really praise Him. I love you, Lord Jesus. And I adore you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Our, our theme course is going to be for these four services, my favorite course. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Would you stand with me as we sing it together? Let's really sing it. The Assemblies of God have had that chorus too long. Power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate.
So many beautiful, many, many beautiful lessons in the book of Esther. I have taught on it on Sunday morning when I teach on Sunday morning in my local church that I pastor. I take a book of the Bible and just go through it verse by verse. I do the same thing when I go to Thailand for their conference. I'll take a book and go through it, teaching. While I am there, hours and hours and hours of teaching while I'm in, in Thailand for their conference and camp meetings. And, uh, and there are so many beautiful, beautiful lessons in this book. But I want to bring four of them to you. Today, I'm going to speak on the subject, the final results. Everybody say the final results. The final results of hatred and revenge. The final results of hatred and revenge. Tomorrow, I will teach on the subject, wise men. And may I insert, and women who knew the times. Wise men who knew the times. And then Thursday, we'll be having missionaries services on Wednesday. And uh, the whole missions has asked me to speak for their service and has asked me to speak on spiritual warfare. So I will do what they asked me to do. And on Thursday, we're going to bring you another lesson from the book of Esther. And I shall entitle that the King chooses his bride the king chooses his bride and then the last day friday god's plan of salvation and glory for his people god's plan of salvation and glory for his people can you say praise the lord hallelujah hallelujah for the sake of uh, some of you that may be new converts in this uh, class here today, let me, let me go over the story of what happens here in the book of Esther just very briefly. King Ahasuerus was a uh, king that ruled all of the known world and the empire of that day, the Medes and the Persian Empire. It reached all the way from India to Ethiopia in an every direction. Very powerful kingdom. This story takes place over 500 years before the time of Christ. And uh, this kingdom involved 127 provinces. We would call them nations. If that was today, we would call it 127 nations or districts of people that he ruled. Amen. And in the third year of King Ahasuerus' reign, he called together all of these princes from all over the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, and he was demonstrating the power and the glory 
of that kingdom, bringing them together in a great feast and and a party, if you please, and and just kind of showing off a little bit for a hundred and eighty days. Now that costs some bucks. <laughs> Can you say amen? Can you imagine how much money we're going to spend here in just five days, six days? Won't be a lot of money. Well, he had his count meeting 180 days and was uh, displaying his power and splendor. And finally, there come a seven-day special feast, and it was going to be in the garden of the palace, Shushan. And uh, my, were they decorated out. They had all kind of draperies and hangings of all kind of beautiful materials, things, and that was white and, and blue and, uh, and gold and hanging on rings of silver. And my, what a display. The beds, if you please, were of gold and silver. How would you like to have a bed that had gold on it? My, <laughs> must have been something. All of the payments was of marble of all different colors, probably from all over the world, coming together there. Amen. And finally, his queen, Vastai, was invited out to show herself and to make an appearance to all of these princes, and she refused to come. And the wise men advised him, you better get rid of her. Better get rid of her. And so he did. <laughs> Not quite that easy today in the apostolic church. <laughs> but he got rid of her. And then a great search went out over all of the kingdom. You might say, how in the world is that going to fit into the, into the story? Israel was the people of God. And God set them aside and chose another. And I'm glad that we're a part of that group that has been chosen. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And a great search went out over the kingdom that another would be chosen. And Esther was chosen. Amen. And about that time, there was a man by the name of Haman that was exalted to the second highest position in all of that magnificent kingdom that stretched over the entire known world of that day. If you please, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, an empire. And he was second in command, lifted up, and all the people were ordered to bow when he would come through, and they would show obeisance to him and reverence to him, and Haman really enjoyed that. But Esther's uncle, Mordecai, refused to bow when he would come by refused and it made Haman so angry 
so very angry and it just tore his spirit all to pieces and that's what I want to talk about today <laughs> Haman's spirit <laughs> I think it'll kind of be in harmony with what we heard here last night wasn't that magnificent that was one powerful message it was more than a good sermon let me tell you that was a word from the Lord that was a revelation from God's holy word for us to be one not only in doctrine believe in the oneness doctrine but being one in spirit oh hallelujah look over to your neighbor and take his hand and and take her hand and say I love you I'm glad to be sitting here beside you praise the Lord hallelujah <laughs> Do you love the Lord today? Do you love each other today? Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord together. I worship you, Lord Jesus. And I adore you, Almighty God. Blessed be thy matchless holy name. I want to read now just a few verses of Scripture to be the foundation of today's Bible study. If you'll turn to book of Esther chapter 3. We're going to read the first few verses. Chapter 3, verse 1. And after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamidia, the Agite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes, 127 of them, that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did he, nor did him reverence. Now look at verse uh, 5. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Now, listen to what it caused him to do. Turn to chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading with verse 9. Then when Haman forth that day, joyful, with a glad heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai, everybody say with me, but when Haman saw Mordecai, you know, you can really have the victory, just really praise God and shout and dance, until sister so-and-so walks into the congregation. <laughs> it isn't long till she's got your joy in her pocketbook. Or he's got your joy in his pocket. That's what I want to talk about today. Is that all right? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up, nor moved for him. He was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him 
and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow we're going to go again. And I am invited unto her also with the king. Now notice verse 13. Yet all of this availeth me nothing. You see what a fool he was? You talking about a first-class fool. Yet all of this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Then said Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman. That's a great idea, wife. And he caused the gallus to be made. God bless you, and you may be seated. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your precious people that has gathered into this tabernacle today. And I pray, Lord God, that your holy anointing shall be upon them to receive your precious word. Lord, let them receive the word of God today. And I pray, O oh God, that you shall anoint my mind and cause my mind to be alert and loose my tongue that I may speak to your people in Jesus' name. And help me, Lord, not to be so intimidated because I've been down here so many times. You're able to anoint me. Help me to forget that I've ever been here before in my life in Jesus' name. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And everyone said amen. <laughs> You love the Lord? Let's give him a great big hand praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> praise God. Hallelujah. Here was Haman, so blessed in such a magnificent kingdom, lifted up with riches and honor and praise and conveniences such a beautiful place and such a powerful position that he was put into and all of these wonderful things. But he lost all of it. He lost every bit of it. It was all completely and totally taken away from him because he could not control the wrath that would come into his heart because of one single human being. Anybody got any idea where I'm going today? <laughs> God bless your hearts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Haman was so easily offended. Remember, as far as Haman was concerned, Mordecai was nothing but a little poor foreigner. Sitting at the gate. As far as Haman was concerned, he was a nobody. Just sitting there. 
And when Haman would come by, he would expect them all to salute. And Mordecai wouldn't do it. Haman should have been able to overlook that character. I don't care who you are or where you're at or how great you are. You may be the greatest preacher that ever lived. You may be the greatest teacher that ever lived. You may be the greatest pastor that ever lived. But I promise you, there's going to be somebody in that audience that's not going to salute. I don't care. You may be the most wonderful saint that ever lived. But there's going to be somebody that's a member of this church that's going to agitate the very life out of you. If you let them. <laughs> I pastored one little sister for nine years. About three years ago, I said, Lord... As far as that sister is concerned, strike me blind that I cannot see her. <laughs> That's the truth. And God struck me blind. I don't know if she's there or not there. I don't hate her, but I'm not her pastor. She pastors herself. I'm her preacher. I'm her preacher, not her pastor. She does what she pleases, when she pleases, and how she pleases. <laughs> Any of you got her sister in your church? <laughs> Bless God. You know what I'd do? I'd be talking to those precious saints that love God. Their tears would be flowing or they'd be dancing and shouting. They're the shoutingest bunch you've ever seen. I don't know where they got it. I didn't teach them. I'm, I'm too fat to shout. <laughs> My Lord, if I shouted, I'd have to have air brakes. I, I have got to where I am practicing. Really. As I lose this weight, I get out in the church, you know, all by myself and practice a little bit. But I, I can't get it together yet. <laughs> but that church, they are a shouting bunch. I told them the other day, I said, we're in need of money, and I figured out how to get it. We're going to sell these pews. You don't need them. You're always on your feet. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Easy to preach to people that stand up while you're preaching. <laughs> Praise God. But I'd be preaching to those saints, and they'd be shouting and praising the Lord, and I'd look back and see that sister, and I'd just get, pow, you know. Well, they didn't know what in the world was going on. They didn't know what in the name of God was going on. They thought I meant them. Just kill the spirit. <laughs> praise, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And he should have been able to ignore the Mordecai. 
He had more authority than anyone else. And the more authority he got, the more honor he got, the more arrogant he became. The more ego that he was filled with. And it became a very serious problem. And let me remind you today, when God has filled you with the Holy Ghost and you are born again, let me tell you something. You have become the child of God. You have become a prince in the kingdom of kingdoms. Hallelujah. You're a child of not just the king, but the child of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no people in the world that has been exalted as you and I have been exalted. We have come into the most beautiful, magnificent kingdom this world has ever known. An eye has not seen, nor an ear heard, or can a mind comprehend what this kingdom is about. We get just a little glimpse of it. And when we get just a little taste of it, a little glimpse of it, Hallelujah. We rejoice and we praise God. But let me tell you, there's more out there than we can ever think of or comprehend. We are a part of the greatest thing this old universe has ever known. Hallelujah. And we're getting ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to be with him throughout the countless ages of eternity. Praise be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. This is going to be great. And we can let it all get away from us. One of the most important things of making it and being ready. Haman was established in the kingdom. He was appointed. He had the king's ring, his signet ring. The king gave it to him. He could just do whatever he wanted to do. Unlimited. That's how he got by with building that gallows the way he did. The king had given him that ring. That he could just do whatever and order whatever. And the Lord has given us blank checks as well. Ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Praise the Lord. We can have it. We can have it. The blessings of the Lord. And I tell you, folks, the way we're going to keep it, we're going to have to watch our attitudes. We're going to have to watch our attitudes. I said we're going to have to watch our attitudes and our spirits. Some time ago, there was a terrible crash. I happened to be in the Detroit airport. I had just left the Detroit airport in another plane. And just about one hour after I left, there was a, a, a Northwest Airlines plane, a very large one, lifted with over 150 people on it and it didn't get hardly uh, away from the airport until that that tremendous piece of machinery had over I think it had 157 or 58 passengers on it it was a large plane crashed into the ground and every single human being on that plane 
was killed except one tiny little baby girl. His mother fell over that child, and because the mother was over top of that child, that one little child survived. And that little child was the only survivor. And as usual, they came in to begin to put, uh, begin their tremendous long and thorough investigations as to what happened. And do you know what they discovered? That it was pilot error. Yeah. Yeah. There was not one thing wrong with that plane. Those tremendous, massive jet engines were powerful. They were powerful enough to thrust hundreds of tons, thousands of tons, if you please, into the air. The power was there. The machinery was there. The wings was there. The fuel was there. Everything was there. There was one single problem. There's an instrument on those planes called an attitude. And that pilot had set that instrument called an attitude incorrectly. And instead of the power thrusting them into the air, the power thrust them into the ground. And it can happen to you and I. When we've been exalted, we've been blessed, we've been lifted up, we've been promised everything that a man's heart or a woman's heart could possibly ever desire or imagine. Can you say amen? Amen. And it can all be taken away. And we can end up with bitterness in our hearts somewhere, off in the corner somewhere, never feeling the joy of the Lord and losing our experience and losing our place in the church and losing our place in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have power over the strongholds of the devil. Do you believe that? We have power over the strongholds of the devil. We can tear them down. We don't have to submit to them. But you've got to know what they are before you can tear them down. You've got to be able to recognize the strongholds of the devil. It's not the enemy out there. It's not the unsaved that's outside of our ranks. It's not some brother. Praise the Lord. It's not the church across town. It's not the Baptists, it's not the Methodists, it's not the Catholics, it's not the Muslims, it's not the Hindus, it's not the Buddhists. Let me tell you what the strongholds of the devil is. I read for you in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, everybody say mighty. mighty. Mighty through God to the pulling down of the strong hopes. Yes. And then the very next verse, the Apostle Paul tells us what the strong hopes are. It's not the devil. It's not his angels. It's not false doctrine. It's not sinners, it's not anything except casting down imaginations. You know where the enemy's at? Right between your ears. Yeah. 
That's where the enemy's at. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Why are we in Bible study here? Why are we in camp meeting? Because we want to know His Word. We don't have to be ignorant of the devil's devices. Amen. And if we know the Word of God, it will protect us. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And the Word of God tells us that the strongholds is imaginations. Anything that raises itself against the knowledge of God and bringing, here's what it tells us to do, and bringing into captivity every thought. That's it. That's where you're made or broken is in your thoughts. Not what somebody does, not what somebody says, not what somebody, where somebody goes, but what you think. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Hallelujah. You must understand that sometimes the will of God can be uh, uh, hindered in your life. Even men can interfere with the will of God in your life. And you can become bitter about that. God made us God-like and in His image. And God does not overrule the will of men very often. Eventually, of course. But many times the will of men is in operation, in opposition to the will of God. But there is a way to overcome that. Even if some good leader, even if he's a good leader, and he makes a mistake, and the will of God is uh, perverted in your life, and you're not in the perfect will of God because of the will of men, don't become bitter because of that. The way to come out of that is to keep a sweet spirit and to do what your hands find to do. And the position that you're in, do it with all of your heart soul, mind, and strength. Whatever position you're in, do it the very best that you can. And God will open a door. When men close a door, God will open another door. And if men close that door, God will open another door for you. If, if you keep your attitude right. He's not going to open doors for people with bad attitudes. Full of bitterness. Did you ever realize that the reason that Joseph became prime minister of the whole known world was because he was able to exercise this principle that I'm talking about? It was the will of his brethren to hate him. When they seen him coming, and uh, to visit them, they didn't say, oh, praise the Lord. Here comes our sweet young brother. Oh, it's so good to see him. Oh, no, that's not what they said. They said, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the smart aleck. Here comes the one that thinks he's so great. 
and they plotted his death. It was the will of men that Joseph would die. And they were his brethren. Amen. But it was the will of God that he be the prime minister of the whole known world of that day. That was the will of God. It was the will of men that they would cast him into a pit and to isolate him. We won't kill him. You know, they got under conviction of that. We won't kill him. We'll just isolate him and let him die on his own. Hello, hallelujah, amen, glory to God. We won't disfellowship them. We just won't have nothing to do with them. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. Am I preaching? I thought I was. <laughs> it was the will of men to sell him. But it was the will of God for him to be the prime minister of the whole known world. It was the will of men that he become a slave under Potiphar. But it was the will of God that he be prime minister. It was the will of men that he be imprisoned and falsely accused and falsely charged. He was as innocent as he could be. Put him in jail. Put him in prison. How did he finally make it into the will of God? How did he finally get to the place that God wanted him to be? Because he did the very best he could do in every single situation. When he was Potiphar's slave, when he was Potiphar's servant, Potiphar never had his floors cleaned so well. The garbage had never been taken out so nicely. And he did such a good job that Potiphar made him his business manager and made Potiphar a rich man. And when he was thrown into jail, he became such a model uh, jailbird, if you please. It wasn't long until he was the assistant warden of the whole place. It made no difference what situation he was in. Do you think for a moment he didn't weep? Do you think for a minute he didn't cry? Do you think for a minute he didn't have frustrations? Sure he did. But he never allowed bitterness to come into his heart. The death of us all is when we allow bitterness. I don't care if the other individual is absolutely 100% wrong. And you're 100% right. You let bitterness come into your heart and you're done. You're finished. It's all over for you. But if you keep your trust in God and do the best you can in the situation you're in. Lord, I don't like this mess that I'm in. I don't like this position that I'm in. I don't like this place that I'm at. But I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to give it all I got. God will bring you out. God will honor you. God will open another door for you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, there's all kinds of storms. 
of life that we have to go through. We can even become bitter at God. I've, I've counseled with saints and even preachers that are not only bitter at their fellow men, they become bitter with God. Never forget burying a little boy. He was so tiny because he had cystic fibrosis. The family, the church that I founded in northern West Virginia, in Wheeling, West Virginia, family come in by the name of Wickham's. They were very successful business people. He was the president of all the costume uh, businesses and of weddings and tuxedos and all these things in the United States, very successful businessman, but his young boy, teenage boy, had cystic fibrosis. And they put him in a military school and all of that, and this was a splendid young man, and he won 25, 25 of his fellow military students that was in that private military school. He won them to God, and they received the Holy Ghost and was baptized from all over the United States. Some of their parents was around the world. And, uh, but when he was just 19 years old, he wasn't any bigger than a 13-year-old boy. He died. Amen. And uh, he planned his own funeral. That boy planned his own funeral. He said, I, will, I don't want no special songs at my funeral. I want a congregational singing. He said, lawyers and doctors and the mayor of the city is going to be there and the bankers and, and all the high-browed people of the city is going to be in that, and I want them to sing that song that speaks of the oneness of God. Hallelujah. can't remember the name of it right now. Hallelujah. That is a song that he wanted the congregation to sing it's all in him that's what it was it's all in him the mighty God is Jesus and he said I want every one of those fellas to sing it one time it's all in him <laughs> praise God and he said then I want you to sing this is the day that the Lord hath made and I will rejoice I'll never forget I was so moved by that funeral and I watched his father and mother as they sat on the front row at that funeral, not one time did they take their hands down from the first of that funeral to the last. There, I don't know if they heard what was going on or not, but tears were streaming down their face, and you could read their lips. They were saying, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. They refused to allow bitterness to come into their hearts. They couldn't understand why that good, wonderful, soul-winning boy would die. They never did understand it. They don't understand it. Fifteen years later, they don't understand it. But they never allowed bitterness to come into their hearts. And it'll keep you. It'll help you. God will open the way for you. God will bring you out. There's all kinds of storms that the people of God have to go through because Jesus said, spoke of those that built their house upon the sand and those that built their house on the rock. We know what that means. To build your house on the rock, the, the Lord said that he'd build his church. Upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
What is that rock? It's the revelation of who Jesus Christ is and the glorious doctrine that you and I believe and love. And those that build their house upon the rock are those that are truly born again, repented, baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the Holy Ghost, walking with God in holiness and in modest apparel, if you please. That's those that's built their house on the rock and on the Word of God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And those that have built their house upon the sand had just created their own religions and their own ideas and their own philosophies. And it's all going to collapse and fall. But if you'll look at chapter 7 of the book of Matthew and read both the 25th and the 27th verse, it describes the storm. And the storm for those that's on the sand and those that's on the rock is identical. Word for word, comma for comma, period for period the storm is the same the difference is those that's built on the rock shall not fall praise God hallelujah stay on the rock I don't care if you're an apostle and by the way I believe we have a few today Just because you don't doesn't mean it's not true. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> I don't care even if you're an apostle. You might find yourself in such a storm that you can't even see the daylight. Paul found himself in a storm. And he couldn't see the sun, the moon, or the stars. He lost everything he had. All he had was one wet shirt and one pair of wet britches when he got to the bank. All he had. Everything else was gone. But the Lord brought him through that storm. The Lord revived him. The Lord saved him. And he saved everybody else because he was on the ship. They'd all died if he hadn't have been there. Isn't that true? Amen. He even saved old Jonah. Jonah was rebellious. That's right. He bought his own ticket into his storm. <laughs> Some of us buy our tickets into the storm, too. You ask for it. And when you're in the middle of it and you're about to suffocate and die, you start wondering, well, why did God do this to me? God didn't have nothing to do with it. But if you behave yourself and keep your spirit right, God will bring you out. God said, go over there. And Jonah said, I ain't going to do it. God said, go over there and tell him I'm going to kill him. Old Jonah said, good, I hate him too. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Is this all right, Bishop? Yeah, it's fine. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Amen. God bless your hearts. Old Jonah probably thought, now if he would really kill him, I'd love to go over and tell him he's going to do it. But he won't kill him. They'll repent. And then he won't do it. He ended up in a storm. The Lord saved him. 
but he was in one stinking mess. It took more than a little bit of cologne to get the stink off of him. He was in vomit up to his ears. <laughs> Bless your hearts. If he hadn't repented, that old fish would have digested him. He'd have never got out of there. Amen. And all these things can happen for various reasons, but if we'll keep our attitude right, take control of that mind, God bless your hearts. God is able to help us. We can get hurt. So many things can happen to, to hurt us. We can get bitter. If you suddenly realize you're bitter, there's only one thing to do, and that's to repent. Thank God that we have the privilege to repent. The most wonderful privilege we have. Being able to repent and asking God to help us. Praise the Lord. In harmony with the message last night, let me read for you in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a perpetuation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you believe that? I believe it too. God will take away our sins. But we need to back up one verse. We like to read verse 8 through chapter 2 and verse 2. But we miss verse 7. Listen to what verse 7 says. But if we walk in the light as he in the light and we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. That's the thing that activates the forgiveness of the Lord is your fellowship with your brother. Praise the Lord. <laughs> one preacher jumped all over me one day for something that I took a stand for. wouldn't let up and finally I told him I said I got the Holy Ghost I'm called of God and my opinion is just as good as yours praise the Lord and it's amazing how we press each other on every little issue. We make heaven and hell issues out of every opinion we got. 
Oh, Brother Cole, are you one of them liberal preachers? No, I sure ain't. I sure am not. I have the reputation in the state where I live that if you want to be a member of Brother Cole's church, there's only one way to get in it, and that's sideways through the front door because it's so narrow. I preach holiness. I preach modest apparel. I preach a lot of things. But everything I preach is not heaven or hell issues. Praise the Lord. Well, it may be good, but they're getting mighty quiet on me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What does it mean? Jesus said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And goes on and on. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. That's the part that we leave off of that prayer. Let me read something for you. In Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That's impossible. That's humanly impossible. What in the world did he mean? He means that every time they ask you to forgive them, forgive them. That's what it means. Praise the Lord. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Now that figures out to $262,800. $260,000, almost $263,000 that he owed. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. You and I have believed and taught this to mean that this is the debt that you and I come to the Lord with, the debt of sin, of adultery, fornication, hatred, envy, and strife, and sedition, and drunkenness, and cigarettes, and and worthiness and, and all kind of things. We come to God with our sin and we could not pay the debt. And we said, Lord, have mercy on us. And he forgave us all. Is that what we believe? Well, that's what I believe this scripture means. Verse 28. 
But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. That's approximately $15. And he laid his hands upon him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, Have mercy on me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went out and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorrow, and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee of all thy debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. His debt, the $263,000 debt that he could not pay, was placed on him again. Does that mean if some brother, some sister does some little something against us and we get a grudge in our heart and we get bitterness in our heart and they steal our joy and we can't forgive them? Does that mean that all of our debt of sin is coming back on us? I want you to think about it. Look what Jesus said in the last verse. So likewise... Shall my heavenly Father do also unto you? If ye from your hearts forgive not one another, his brother, their trespasses. What does that mean? I'll let you decide. It could mean that all of our sin that has been taken away when we get filled with bitterness against someone and we cannot forgive them when they ask us to forgive them, that the debt of sin comes back onto our heads and we shall be lost. That's a hard doctrine. But I did quote you the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Someone asked the question, Brother Cole, what about someone that has harmed us and hurt us and wounded us and they have not asked us to forgive them you're going to have to save yourself from this untoward from this crooked generation you're going to have to save yourself amen i'm not talking to you about something that i've read in a book somewhere though it's all right to read books and to listen to tapes and all the rest i, I appreciate all those things but i'm telling you i'm talking to you today out of my heart I have been in the gates of hell in muck up to my ears and God brought me out I said and God brought me out and God is able to bring you out hallelujah I remember one time a man harmed me so terribly a brother if you please you know, the world can't really hurt you. You know, if you know they're unsaved and you know they're sinners and you know they're not born again, uh, they, they can offend you and you feel bad about it and you don't enjoy persecution. 
You don't uh, uh, enjoy all those things, but you don't become bitter over it. You can just kind of shut it off of you uh, so easily, just push it away from you. But when a brother does it, when a wife does it, when a husband does it, when a son does it, when a father does it, when a brother does it, when a sister does it, when the preacher does it, when the district superintendent does it, or when the district board or something else, I'm telling you, it hurts and hurts bad. Praise the Lord. And it can eat you alive. It can eat you up and destroy your entire victory. There are plenty of churches that are going down and down and down because pastors have allowed themselves to become bitter over something. And they think they're projecting the love of God. You don't project what you say. You project what you are. Praise the Lord. And saints of God, you project what you are. And we can lose the joy of the Lord out of our life. A minister, a wounded me, wounded me to death. And I'm sorry to say that my hurt, there's a lot of difference between being hurt and being bitter. There's a lot of difference. There's a lot of difference between being hurt and being bitter. But you are in danger when you're hurt. And you dwell, your thinking dwells on that hurt. You are in danger because that hurt can become bitterness very, very easily. Amen. And I allowed my hurt to become bitterness. And I was preaching. I preached in the general conference during that time. Did the very best that I could. Did a pretty good job. So they said. A lot of people were helped. A lot of people were blessed. I've seen several thousand people receive the Holy Ghost during that year. But I had allowed bitterness to come into my heart when somebody would mention a certain person's name to me, I would start shaking. I would literally start shaking. I got to where I hated them. I'm confessing. You, you can take what I'm confessing to you and, and beat me to death with it if you want to. I'm making myself very vulnerable to you. But I want to help you today, folks. I allowed bitterness to come into my heart. And then a great, great honor was going to be bestowed upon me. A great honor was going to be bestowed upon me. And when it come time for that honor to be bestowed upon me, it was not given to me. It was given to the man that just his name caused me to shake. I remember when someone called me, a preacher friend called me and said, the honor has been given to so-and-so. I said, don't you toy with my emotions. You be sure of this. And don't you call me back until you're sure. Amen. 
One hour later, he called me back and said, Billy, it is true. And I remember I dropped the phone. I didn't even hang the phone up. And I staggered. I almost fell in the floor. And I staggered to a chair in my kitchen. And I fell in that chair. And I screamed at the top of my lungs. And I screamed, there is no justice. There is no justice. And my wife, my precious wife, said, sit down, Billy. Quiet down, Billy. I didn't hear it the first two times she read it, but she read me the entire book of the book of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters. She read it to me three times, and the first two times I didn't even hear it. I was in a, what the medical people call shock. I was in a state of critical shock. And I heard it the third time she read it. And she said, I want to tell you something, Billy, that I've never told you. I want to tell you something that I've never told you. <laughs> it helped me. She saved my life that day. She said, do you remember the situation with Brother Boonmark in Thailand? I said, yes, I do. And I'm going to tell you a story that I have told very few people. Brother Tenney has never heard this story. The Foreign Missionary Board has never heard this story. But when I took my beautiful wife to Thailand, she was only 23 years old, and she was one of the most beautiful women physically and spiritually in the world. She was so gentle and so kind and so submissive. She was more like my mother than any woman I've ever met. She was like Mary Cole. So gentle, so kind. And I baptized a man that was the general secretary of the Presbyterian movement, Budmark Gittisan. He was not a poor man. He had a parochial school of over 2,000 students. And he came into this glorious truth through a very great miracle of God. I baptized him here in the States. He had a wife that was the one that owned the school. She was a very successful businesswoman, very successful. And he was a preacher. And she did not love him. She would mock him and scoff him. She never received the Holy Ghost. She did get baptized in Jesus' name eventually, but she never received the Holy Ghost. She was very kind to me, very kind to me. But she hated the Thai preachers. She hated every one of them. She hated him. 
and she mistreated her own husband. She was not submissive to him in any way, and she would ridicule him that she was the one making the money and that he didn't hardly get any money at all for his preaching. She would make fun of him, cause him to do the strangest things. And my wife, Shirley, was the opposite. My wife, Shirley, lived and breathed for me. She prayed for me every day. She would pray intercessorily for me. She, she loved me. She loves me very much, and I loved her. And she was so kind and so gentle. And for that reason, that's the only thing I can figure out. Brother Boone Mark, though he came into this truth and was a great instrument of God to bring hundreds of Presbyterians into this truth, we baptized over 1,500 Christian Missionary Alliance uh, uh, members, and we baptized 63 of their preachers. And he was very instrumental in helping us to do that, very instrumental. But because of my wife's attitude towards me and because of his wife's attitude towards him, he became exceedingly hostile to my wife. And the first four years that I was in Thailand, he imposed, he imposed ancient Thai customs upon my wife that were 100 years old that the Thai women did not no longer practice. But he forced her to practice those customs that was 100 years old. And when we would go to churches and visit churches, the custom, the old custom, was for the men to be sit in honor and to be served the food first. And then the women would go into a dirty kitchen, not like your beautiful kitchens, nothing like that. You wouldn't keep your dog in a place that was like their kitchen, in those little bamboo huts and in their little houses and what they had, their kitchens was a mess and dirty and filthy. And the custom was that the wife sit on the kitchen floor and eat what was left. And my wife had to do that. My wife was not allowed to sit with me at the dinner table for four years. You say, I wouldn't have took it. That's the reason God sent me instead of sending you. I didn't like it either. But if I hadn't have took it, I promise you, there would be no Jesus name church in Thailand today. None. None. I went to the north of Thailand to preach at a Presbyterian conference, and the Lord really blessed it. 146 Presbyterians was baptized in that conference in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by this time, my wife had joined me. She had come on an old DC-3 plane with canvas seats in it by herself. Brenda was five years old. 
little blonde-headed girl. And she came up there, and that plane landed in a buffalo patch 200 miles from Hanoi, Vietnam, at the end of the world. And he would not let me go and meet her. She was very frightened. But I finally went to get her. She was so frightened, she was just trembling. And I took her to the house where we were staying. And then we were going to visit some Presbyterian churches. And he gathered up his little Coleman stove, gathered up all of his food, and put them in my car. Put them in my car. And told me that my wife could not sit in my car. So she had to stay there while we traveled. She stayed in a house that didn't have one single piece of furniture in it. And it was across the street from a crematory. And the reason the house was available was because the Thai people were so terrified of the house. They thought it was haunted. They were fearful of that house. And my wife and my baby stayed in that house by herself. I had no money to give her. She was there for several days. And when she got hungry, she could not yet speak the language. We had only been there a few months. She could not speak the language. She did eventually learn fluently the language, but not at this time. She went to the neighbors and pointed at her mouth and her stomach that she was hungry. And they gave her food. Many things like that happen. But for some unknown reason, we had a massive revival. And thousands of people were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was one particular conference where 72 denominal preachers came to. 63 of them got baptized in Jesus' name and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 63 of the 72. And when we arrived in that conference, Brother Boone Mark was wanting to pull all of our people out of the UPC. He had some kind of a wild, concocted idea of... Uh, pulling them off and pulling them back into the Presbyterian church and, and taking over the whole Presbyterian church. That was his idea. And you and I know that that wouldn't have worked. And so when I got to the conference, he came up to my wife in front of me with a, with a letter. And he said, Ma'am Cole, <laughs> you would always laugh. You know? <laughs> Here's a letter for you from the government. It had come to his house. And the letter said, Mrs. Cole, you must be out of the country within 48 hours or you shall be arrested and imprisoned. And the date was seven days earlier. He had held that letter for seven days. He was already subject to be imprisoned. And Shirley just almost fainted. And she said to me, he has some devious plan. He has a devious plan 
and he wants you out of this conference and you must not leave this conference I will take this letter and go to the government by myself and God will help me and God did help her but it was a miracle but when we got home my little precious wife came to me one day and she said, Billy, I cannot help myself. I hate that man. I hate him. I hate him. And I'm sitting in this condition in shock. And she said, Billy, you know that I got the victory. I said, yeah, I know, because I remember taking you back to Thailand. And old brother Boonmark, when he was 88 years old, he finally fell into adultery, and we had to break fellowship with him. But, I, but he came back. When I was visiting Thailand, he said, Ajahn, he called me Ajahn. He said, Ajahn, would you let me say just a word in this meeting? I said, yes, you can say a word, Ajahn. He got up and tears were streaming down his 88-year-old cheeks. He had his Bible in his hand. He could quote the entire New Testament. He could start at Matthew chapter 1 and quote all through the Revelation, every verse, every chapter, he could quote it. Brilliant mind. And he had his old Bible in his hands, and he said, I am going to die. And he said, I want to die. I want to die. But before I die, there is something that I have to do. And this beautiful woman sitting over here, Ma'am Cole, I don't know why, but I tormented that woman. I have tormented her. For some unknown reason, I have tormented her. And I want you, Ma'am Cole, I want you to forgive me. And my wife was weeping and she stood and she went and embraced the old man. And she said, it's all right, Ajahn. She said, I forgave you a long time ago. Years ago, I forgave you. And today, she's telling me the story. Billy, do you know how I got the victory? I said, no. She said, you didn't know it. But God spoke to my heart. And I went into our bathroom, and in Thailand, the bathroom and the toilet is two different rooms. She said, I'd go into the bathroom, and I locked the door. And for one solid hour, God said, pray for Ajahn Boon Mark. And I did that every day. I prayed for Ajahn Boon Mark. Not that God would kill him or harm him, but that God would bless him. And God took that hatred and bitterness 
out of my heart. God, be my witness. God, be my witness. If the man that made me shake when I would hear his name, if he would walk through those back doors today and walk down this aisle, God, God, be my witness. I would love to see him. I could embrace him. And I could say, I love you. Did he ever ask you to forgive you, Brother Cole? Forgive him? No. He never asked me. And he never will. But I have the victory. I have the victory. I have the victory. I have the victory. Hallelujah. Haman lost everything because of his bitterness toward one single human being. And it'll take everything you got if you have bitterness. You're blessed if all it is is hurt. But if you've got hurt, be careful. Hurt can become bitterness very quickly. Do you love the Lord? Do you know that you could be sitting beside someone and they have not confided to you and their chest may be ready to burst right now. They are hurting. They are wounded. And I have preached to them today. They need help. And they may or may not tell you. But I tell you what I'd like for you to do. Don't reach and touch three or four or five people. But just one-on-one. -on -one. Would you stand right now as the musicians play? And would you turn to one person? And would you firmly lay your hands upon each other? And pray for each other? Just assume. Just assume that they really need it. They may or may not. They may or may not. Very quickly, musicians, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. It could be a life or death matter for somebody here today. It could be a life or death matter for someone here today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I stretch my hand out over this congregation today for preachers, for pastors, for elders, for deacons, for Sunday school workers, for preachers' wives, for saints of God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will touch them, that you will set them free, that you will heal their minds, heal their minds, heal their spirits, heal their hearts today. Should there be someone with bitterness in their heart, I pray, oh God, that you shall deliver them just now, some way, somehow. Let them find the answer today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 
the Apostle Paul lost everything he had, but God restored him. When Haman lost everything, he was never restored. Never restored. Amen.